right, good morning. A lot of life. <laughs> Lively. All right, well, that's a good thing, though. Philippians chapter 2 in your Bible, that's where I'll ask you to turn. Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Philippians chapter 2, we'll read several verses from there just momentarily, give everybody a chance to get there. Um, appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, preach this morning, and um, don't take that lightly. It is a, an honor but, and a responsibility. Philippians chapter 2. All right, let's read. Uh, I'll read, you follow along, but uh, verses 5 through 11 is what uh, we're going to read, uh, get started this morning. We'll actually go back and talk about more than that. But verse 5, Philippians 2, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father, again this morning as we open your word and look into it, we pray that you would help us and uh, help me to be able to uh, just have clarity of thought, to be able to uh, present uh, the truth here that you would have this morning from your word. We thank you for your word, and we just pray that you'd uh, uh, work in each of our hearts and lives, help us to be desirous to be more Christ-like uh, as a result of looking into your word this morning, but we, we pray that you would uh, help us now, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. The, uh, the verses we read there are uh, make up a, a portion of scripture that gives us um, one of uh, the other, last Sunday morning in the Sunday school, we looked at John chapter 1, uh, but this is another one of those passages that, that teaches us uh, about who Christ is and the deity of Christ and actually the deity and humanity both of Christ, which in reality is a I mean, it's a, it's a deep subject, it's kind of mind-boggling, because I, I, and I don't understand it all, and I don't know that any of us could really fully understand God, eternal God, became man, and now he's God and man. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's hard to really grasp, but it is what the Bible teaches, and so, of course, we should uh, accept it, not just, you know, like, accept it reluctantly, but we should... Uh, believe it, and it is something that's uh, important and necessary in our salvation. 
but these verses focus on that. Let me just quickly run through something here because it pertains to what we're looking at. We're looking at a bigger picture here this morning, but this certainly pertains. And it tells us in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, which really that's what these verses are about. Everybody's heard the phrase, you know, the mind of Christ, or we, sh we should have the mind of Christ, or something to that effect, all right? Uh, well, what is that? If we were to, to say, okay, I want to have the mind of Christ, but what is that? Well, this is a passage that tells us exactly what the mind of Christ in relation really to our lives, to our living, uh, really what that is, all right? And so that's what this passage is telling us here. Uh, this mind, all right, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So this is the, the mind of Christ, all right? Who, that's, that's Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now let me pause there for just a minute. What these verses are telling us is really the very same thing that John chapter 1 told us, that Christ... Uh, is eternally the Son of God. He's always been. Uh, there's never been a time when God the Son hasn't existed. He is eternal, like you know, God the Father, God the Spirit, all uh, cohesive and, and one in essence, one God, but yet the Lord Jesus Christ, being God, all right, being in the form of God. If you were able to be in heaven at that time before He came to the earth, all right, and to see him, he would look like God. That's the idea of that. And it says, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. There's really two main ways to understand this, and I'm just going to try to give them to you quickly. don't want to get bogged down here. But either this is saying that he was not stealing from God the Father, God the Son, to be equal with God the Father. He wasn't taking anything from him to do that. It can have that idea, or... The other option, if you want to say and be biblical, is, all right, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't his deity, the fact that he was God, was not something that he felt like he had to hold on to at all costs, because there's nobody that's going to take his deity from him, all right? And that's, that's kind of important in the statements that follow, because it does tell us then that was the case with him already in heaven for eternity past, but in verse 7 it says, but made... All right, so there was a point in time when something happened, and he was made. In fact, it says he made himself of no reputation and took, a, put, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There was a time when God the Son became man. He took upon him, and, and that's important in several ways because it, it, the idea is he participated, it wasn't something forced on him, he willingly did this. Now again, we're going to get back to what this mind is, but it's explaining the mind of Christ, Let that's to be in us, right? Let this mind be in you, right? He was God, always has been, he still is God, I shouldn't have said was, but he always is God, but there's a time when for particular purposes that he willingly set aside, and that's the idea that uh, there in uh, verse 7, that he made himself of no reputation. Literally, it's the idea of he emptied himself. Now, that doesn't mean that he, he wasn't God anymore, that he emptied himself of being God. That's impossible. 
All right? But he, it's like he laid aside his royalty, his, his prerogatives, his rights as being God. He laid those aside willingly for a reason. All right? So he made himself of no reputation, it says in verse 7, and in taking off his, all of his rights as deity, he took on something else. He put something else on, and that was the form of a man. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he became a man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we, I've said it before on other occasions in Sunday school, talking about Christ and the person of Christ, but one of the big reasons why God the Son became a man is so he could die, so he could become the Savior. He, 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 he had to do that in order to save man. He had to do that. So that's part of it. That's not the only reason he became a man, but that's, that's a big one, okay? And that's one that's talked about right here in this passage, all right? He, he took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. I mean, think of this, all right? Just becoming a man would be a humble act for God. He's God. The eternal majestic one. So just becoming man was an act of humility, but not just that. I mean, think about it. If he had become a man, came to earth and, you know, came and took a throne in a palace or something like that, he would deserve that. But even that, that's not anything compared to his throne in heaven, right? So there's an act of humility just in that. But he came and he took on the lowest of forms of, of if you want to say, in humanity. He was born into poverty. He, uh, he, he grew up in poverty, it would seem, and, and, you know, lowly conditions, just nothing extravagant whatsoever, just simple things. And beyond that, then, he willingly died. All right, this, this was said in this passage. But he didn't just die. He willingly, willingly subjected himself to probably one of the most cruel forms of torture and death that man has ever invented. I mean, it's amazing. That's his humility, all right, being talked about there. He did that for reasons. And then, okay, uh, at the end of the passage then, it says in verse 19, wherefore, all right, so that's drawing a conclusion based on that, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. So because of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ became man, and as he was here on this earth, he lived perfectly, of course. He perfectly revealed God to this world. He, he demonstrated the character of God, but in everything he did, he submitted himself to the plan that was laid out. He submitted himself to that. And again, this is very important, all right? Uh, he submitted himself to that and fully obeyed everything that was the plan of God. And because of that, he demonstrated that he is worthy of all exaltation. And therefore, God's given him the name which is above every name. And then it says, at that name, right? What's to happen? Every knee is to bow. 
and every tongue is to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? That's the gist of that passage, all right, as far as those particular verses. But what I want to talk to you about this morning, I'm, that's all groundwork because understanding what Christ did is important to the whole fact of verse 5 where it says, let this mind be in you. All right? In other words, when it says this mind be in you, what's that mean? Well, it's, it's a way of thinking, all right? It, in other words, this is how we're to think, is what he's saying. The way that Christ thought. Now, the, and then the example that's given here, it's the, the whole concept of this is, what did Christ do? What was his thinking? He was willing to set aside his rights, what he really deserved. And if anybody deserved it, he does, right? He was willing to set that aside to do something that was humiliating. He humbled himself. He did that for reasons, right? So that the plan of God could be carried out in this world. And part of that is so that you and I could have a relationship with God. Do you realize that you, there is no, I mean, absolutely no way in heaven or in earth that you or I could be saved and have a relationship with God if Christ had not done what he did? No way. Sometimes I think we forget about that, that idea. I mean, it was totally necessary if, if God was going to be able to, you know, if we were going to be able to have a relationship with God, if God was going to be able to forgive our sin, all right, it had to be taken care of. He couldn't just say, okay, and, you know, he wouldn't be holy still. He wouldn't be righteous, all right? His holiness is offended by sin. His righteousness is offended by sin. And so something had to be done, and Christ did what was necessary so that we could have a relationship with him. And the whole point of, again, this particular passage is the Apostle Paul, God's, God's leading the Apostle Paul here to write to the church at Philippi and say, this is the way you need to think. Because in the broader context, the point is, the instruction here to the Philippian church, and then by, of course, extension is to us, is that if we're going to be individually the people that we need to be, and then corporately the church that, that we ought to be, all right, we're going to have to put some, you know, if I can word it this way, put some effort into that. It doesn't just happen. Every one of us has a human nature that to some degree or another is selfish and likes to get its way. And I certainly struggle with this. It's, I mean, uh, you can call it pride, you can call it selfishness, whatever, but the point is we must purposefully put that aside if we're going to see God glorified in this, in this world. I mean, that's what it is, all right? And so this passage, we're going to go back to verse 1 now, and with that part in mind, and see what the, you know, the big picture of this passage here is about, all right? He says in verse 1, if, if there be therefore, now anytime you see the word therefore, you know, what's the statement? You look to see what it's there for, all right? It's, con it's a conclusion. It's, it's drawing a conclusion based on what went ahead. And what went ahead of this is, a, is of course, a long passage, but uh, particularly like in verse 27. Only let your conversation, your way of life, be as it becometh 
the gospel of Christ. It should be fitting of the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you, <clears throat> excuse me, or else uh, be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I'm just going to stop there, but that's the gist of this, all right? Paul's writing to this church at Philippi to encourage them to set aside their personal wants in reality so that God's will can be accomplished through them. You realize, I mean, that's a big thing in American society and particularly today. I have my rights. I mean, and as Americans, sure, we're, we ought to be thankful for rights that we've had. And I say it that way because some of them seem to be going away, right? But, but we ought to be thankful for that. But in the scheme of the Bible, who says you deserve fill in the blank? I'm not trying to be unkind, but in reality, what do we deserve? All of us deserve hell. I mean, if we're honest about it, we, we do, all right? So, but my, the point, the point of this passage is Paul saying, you know, church, if, <clears throat> if you're going to do what God wants you to do, and as individuals, if you're going to be living in God's will and you're going to be used of God, you have to be willing to set some things aside. And you have to be willing to do some things, all right? And so verse 1, he says, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any, any comfort, any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. Now, uh, you, you see that phrase sometimes in the New Testament. Literally, the, the, the word bowels there is talking about intestines, but I mean, but it's used in a figurative way. In other words, your, your innermost feelings, you know, you're really compassionate, that kind of an idea, all right? And then he says in verse 2, if this, in verse 1, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, no, notice in verse 2, he's, he's, he's really driving home the fact, all right? This is what I desire for you. And of course, it's what God desires for him and for us, right? And he says that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You see worded four different ways the whole idea of, of unity, right? I mean, th and this has been described various ways, but you think of like an orchestra, or you can think of it with choir, with voices or whatever. But, but every piece has a particular part. And that part is just a part of the bigger thing. Any one of those parts out of place or even heard too much or whatever can sound awful. But yet when it's all together, each part doing what it's supposed to do, it sounds beautiful, right? And that's, that's God's point for his people and particularly for his churches, but that means every one of us needs to be willing to do our part or play our part, so to speak, in that orchestra. 
to have that right harmony, that right, you know, balance and everything. And he says uh, here in, in uh, verse uh, 3, then he adds to that, all right, this idea of unity and being one-minded. He says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Strife, you know, things that you just let get the best of you. And unfortunately, uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but that's easy to do because we have flesh that wants its way. And that's really where any of that comes from. Proverbs, what, 13, 10, I think it is, or 8 says, uh, only by, uh, only by uh, pride cometh strife. Get it out here. But so, in other words, any strife, it's rooted in our, in our pride, in our personal desire for our way. And we need to be willing to set that aside. All right? And uh, see, this is, this is the exhortation that's commanded in these verses. And then jumping down to verse 4, I've got to press on here. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. All right? So it's easy, and what, we, what, I, what we tend to normally do is we look at our stuff, our things, our way, what we want, whatever it is, and, and we focus on that. Now, to some degree, all right, and it's interesting that in verse 4 he says he has the word also there because obviously God knows that there are things we must do for ourselves. There are, you know, but at the same time we can get carried up, carried away in that. Even maybe some good things and, uh, or things that aren't necessarily bad but are necessary, we can get carried up in that carried away with that, and we neglect other things and other people. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We should be looking out for others. We should be looking out for other people, uh, the needs of others, and again, be willing to set aside our rights for the sake of others. For the sake of the cause, if you want to say. I mean, that, that's done all the time in various ways. All right? Uh, in the military, for instance. People in the military have to be willing to set aside their personal desires and so on for the mission, for the cause, whatever. Uh, firefighters, all right? I mean, to go into, uh, you know... Uh, a burning building, to put out a fire, I mean, there's, there's risk involved in that. They'd be willing to set aside perhaps their safety and so on for others. I mean, you know, there's endless illustrations perhaps of that, all right? But this is the exhortation that's commanded in this passage. We, we need to be careful that we uh, think of others, that we purposefully set aside our rights for the sake of others, and for the sake of Christ, right, that we do these things. And then you see the example that's cited begins in verse 5. And that's the context of this passage about Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. All right, so if we think it's hard to, uh, again, set aside maybe what we want or whatever for, you know, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of a church, for the sake of, you know, the gospel... Think of Christ. Remember Christ. That's the whole point of this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. His mind is what? That he saw the big picture 
He was willing to empty himself, to set aside his prerogatives as God and take on humanity, come here, subject himself to all kinds of humiliation, and ultimately to death, and not just any death, but the death of the cross. All right? And he did that for your benefit. He did it for the glory of God, but he also did it for your benefit. He was willing to do that. And that's, that's what being Christ-minded is. According to this passage, I mean, I'm not saying that's the only thing involved in it, but that, according to this passage, the mind of Christ is that attitude, that we're willing to set aside what we like, what we want, our rights, what we think are our rights anyway, for, for God's glory, number one, but for the sake of others. And that is imperative that we do that if God's going to be honored in this world. So you have those, uh, you know, those commands, those exhortations commanded there, and then this exi- the example of Christ stated here. So in, in, and again, understanding this mindset that we're to have, we need to, we need to understand who Christ is. He's God who willingly became man. And, I mean, you talk about, again, the greatest example of humility that anyone could ever imagine or cite. That's it. That is it. You will never be humbled more than that, uh, willingly. And so, uh, understanding who he is and what he became, okay, who he really is and so on. I mean, this is, this is important. And this then fits into the picture of, you know, Again, reconsidering this exhortation. What's the practicality of this? Well, in again, at the conclusion of this, in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. Now, I'm going to pause there again. And, you know, the whole point is, all right, Christ, he left heaven. He, He set aside his prerogatives as God. He left heaven, became a man, subjected himself to all of this for a reason, right? For, for, for God to be glorified, for God to have a just way to forgive man, for us to have a relationship with him, and so on. For those reasons, he did that. And as a result of that, as a result of his obedience is the idea. And it's interesting how the book of Hebrews chapter 2 uses that and says that, he was perfected through his obedience. I mean, it doesn't, you know, he, he's always been sinless perfect, but he fully completed everything, and he earned and deserved any exaltation that he, he uh, gets. In fact, he earns more, he earned more than what he gets, but from us. But because of that, God highly exalted him and gave him, has given him a name which is above every name. Now, here's my point with that. The practicality to us is, you know what? If we're willing to humble ourselves here and do the right things and serve God the way we should, you know what? God will reward that one day. He'll reward that in his time. Now, we're not going to have the position of Christ. We're not going to have a name exalted above every name. But what I'm getting at is, and, and we in the Sunday school hour we were talking uh, about that passage in First Thessalonians, uh, yeah, First Thessalonians four about the rapture, and you know we mentioned that after the rapture, there's there's a judgment seat of Christ. There's a time of accounting before Him, and somehow in and through all of that, God's going to reward 
faithfulness to him. He's going to reward obedience and faithfulness to him. So it, it, there's a motive, there should be a motive, you know, partial motivation in there for us that, hey, if we're faithful, God's going to, he's not going to overlook it. He's going to reward it. He's going to, uh, uh, you, could, you could word it this way. God will make all sacrifices given for him, done for him, worth it one day. It, sometimes, honestly, it doesn't seem worth it in this life. But we don't see the whole picture, do we? But we have to have faith and trust that God will do what he says. And if we're faithful to him, he will reward that. So we can't be looking at this, you know, what we see around us. We can't be looking at the, the, this life and the results of this life uh, for our guidance. We have to look to the scripture and we have to look through the eyes of faith and trust that God's going to make serving him here worth everything. But also, in applying this, some specific applications to this in our lives. All right, it says in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that, for this purpose, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There are some people, actually, some independent Baptists that, that argue that a person doesn't have to see and, you know, uh, Jesus as Lord in order to be saved. Well, the Bible makes a big deal about the fact that Jesus is Lord, all right? And, and I realize there's, not, there's a lot of things that... None of us understand necessarily about him when we get saved. But the point is, God says that every knee should bow before him. Every tongue should confess. And I've heard lots of preachers, and I believe this is true, by the way, lots of preachers refer to the fact that, you know, God gives you a chance to do that now. And if you don't, one day you're going to stand before him at the judgment seat or at the great white throne judgment. <laughs> you're going to bow the knee, you're going to confess that Jesus is Lord. That is true, by the way. That will happen. But we have the opportunity to do that now, but my point is, that's, that's, that attitude at least, we might not think of it as a, you know, physically bowing our knees and verbally confessing uh, that Jesus is Lord, but that attitude's involved in a person getting saved. There's a, a humility of ourselves, Right? an emptying of ourselves that, that has to take place. We have to be brought low in our hearts before God, recognizing we don't deserve anything. We're, we're nothing. He is everything. He deserves everything. And at all costs, you know, uh, we want Him to get the glory. We want, uh, we want to be right with Him. And so uh, this, is, this is part of this, uh, if you want to say, application in this, all right? Every person needs to understand who Christ is, and they should submit themselves before him. If you don't do it in this life, you will do it. You'll be compelled to. In fact, I, I think, you know, it's not just that God's going to have to, you know, use force to compel them to do that one day, the unsaved, when they stand before him, but they'll realize it. But it'll just be too late for them to, you know, be part of God's mercy 
and God's grace and salvation, but they'll, they'll realize they were wrong. They'll realize that He deserves it. He deserves all the, uh, the glory and, and, uh, and exaltation that they could possibly give. So, in applying this to our lives in salvation, all right, salvation, again, it's not simply a fire insurance policy. It's a right relationship with God. Now, none of us who are saved are perfect. Every one of us mess up. I mean, I'd have to confess I mess up far too much, I mean, than I would even want to admit. But salvation is because of the work that Christ did. It's not because of us. And that's important to, to obviously realize and keep in mind. But salvation is directly uh, tied to this passage, all right? And we should obviously live with a surrendered heart to God and to others, but and again, in the, in the point of this passage, all right, if we're going to be the people we ought to be, now none of us can leave heaven, okay, and set aside the prerogatives of deity because we're not that. But there are things we have to be willing to just maybe shut up and don't say, all right? I mean, you know, uh, don't do this, don't force our way, I mean... There's endless possibilities in that, but we need to be willing if we're going to be used of God personally and then collectively in the Lord's church, all right, we have to be willing to set aside our rights and strive for Him to be glorified and be willing to submit ourselves to Him and to His Word and to His church and, and authorities and all of this. It's imperative if we're going to see him uh, glorified, <coughs> excuse me, in this world, if we're going to carry out the Great Commission like uh, the Lord wants us to, that has to be part of our, of our living. We have to live with that kind of an attitude. Um, you know, that's part of living a sacrificed life, if you want to say. Um, but we, we have to be willing uh, to do that for him. So let me ask you this morning as we bring this to a close, and I've tried to just... Uh, uh, not get bogged down in any uh, particular details and, and so on here, but this the whole point of this passage, again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How's your thinking this morning? How's your thinking been? You know, maybe, maybe there's some things you need to uh, get right with the Lord in your heart, in your life. Maybe there's something you need to get right with somebody else, but uh, again, the point is, you know, and the fact is, when we, these things that most of the time seem to get our attention and we, we, we just feel like, oh, I got to have my way here or whatever. I mean, in the big, they're, it's, they're stupid. They're nothing, you know? I mean, it's, it's really, it's not really like a great loss if we set this aside. Certainly nothing in comparison to what Christ set aside to come and do what he did for us. And so if we're going to be used of the Lord, we certainly, we certainly need to have the mind of Christ. We need to have, let this kind of thinking rule in our hearts. So as we, we're going to have a word of prayer, and, uh, and again, just let me, let me encourage you uh, to be thinking about that. Maybe the Lord's, you know, working in your heart and putting his finger on something. Maybe there's something particularly you're struggling with or have been struggling with. You need to set that aside, you know. Again, remember the big, chick, the big picture, and we need to think like Christ. Maybe there's, again, somebody you need to uh, 
uh, go to and, and talk to and make things right, whatever it is, don't, don't persist in your own way because it's not worth it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that, uh, Lord, as we've touched on anyway, this mind of Christ as it's presented here in Philippians chapter 2, pray that you'd help each one of us to strive to be having the mind of Christ rule in us. And that we'd, we'd keep in mind, Lord, uh, you know, the big picture, your glory, your will, uh, and these things. And Lord, that we would, we would live humbly, that we wouldn't be trying to have vainglory, striving for us to get recognition and, and so on. Lord, that's all of our flesh. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us, help me uh, this morning, that we'd be willing to allow you to work in our lives. Sometimes maybe you have to humble us in ways, um, but help us to be submitted to you, submitted to your will, live out the mind of Christ in our lives. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.